Father, we do ask that you would just bless this ministry resource center. And Lord, we thank you that they're here in town, that ministering to so many, saving lives, saving babies, ministering to those who are really struggling. I thank you for all the volunteers. I thank you for the staff. I thank you for uh, all those who are involved in that ministry and just provide for them. And Lord, we do stand for the sanctity of life. Every life is so precious to you. And Lord, I pray our nation would repent from our sins. And Lord, that uh, as we see that we get further away from you and devalue life in so many different ways, Lord, that we would be ones that we stand in the gap to bring hope and truth and your compassion and your love to people that need it. We pray that you'd bless this, this ministry, all those who are involved, and help them endure the attacks that they go through. And, and Lord, I pray that this morning, that as we now open up our Bibles and look at this familiar story that's given to us, Lord, it would touch our hearts in a deeper way than ever before. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 14, if you'll turn there, the first book of the New Testament. Continuing our journey through Matthew's gospel, some of you are new to Calvary Chapel. We go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we've been in Matthew for the last several months. It's been an incredible study. We're about halfway through Matthew. We've gone as far as verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14. And if you've joined us in our study over the last couple of weeks, we saw that our Lord received news that John the Baptist had been executed by Herod the Tetrarch. He's the one that was ruling up in the Galilee region. He has John arrested and he's beheaded and Jesus no doubt saddened and grieved by the news that John's disciples would bring to him. Uh, and then as he hears the news, he turns to his disciples and he says, let's get into a boat. Let's go to a quiet place on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. One gospel reads to a deserted place. And so they set sail. And the people followed them as they would be on the hillside there. They could see Jesus and the disciples in a boat going to the other side. And they followed them. And can you imagine the disciples and Jesus in that boat seeing this great multitude of people that's just walking along the hillside there following them. Uh, and as they pulled up to the shore, the multitude greets them there. And Jesus moved with compassion uh, for the multitudes. He healed their sick. He fed the 5,000. That was just the men with the women and children, at least 10,000 people in totality. And he fed them with just five loaves and two fish. And they were, all were filled. And the disciples would pick up 12 baskets full of fragments that would be left over. And after that miracle meal that's recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew continues in verse 22 of the chapter that immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone there. So after the feeding of the 5,000, John in his gospel tells us in chapter 6, verse 15, that Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. The multitude had decided that this is the prophet that Moses spoke of. And I'm sure that the disciples standing there with a basket full of leftovers, they're amazed. They're just 
this is incredible. I'm sure they're agreeing with the crowds. So Jesus immediately gets his disciples into a boat to go before him, and then he would send the multitudes away. Keep in mind that John tells us this is near Passover. So the people are going to begin to, to make their journey to Jerusalem. We are going to see next time that Jerusalem is going to send this delegation of, of religious leaders up to Jesus to confront him because when they get to Jerusalem, they're going to be hearing about this miracle. So the multitudes are excited. He sends them away. And they were saying at this time, as they were about ready to crown him as their Messiah, they're saying he heals, he feeds. We will never go hungry. We will never be sick. Look at all that he does. And they were looking for a king that would provide for the physical, material, political needs and benefits. They wanted him to be their king based on their stomachs. And as Jesus dismisses them, we know that John fills in and tells us that the next day after that miracle, that Jesus would say to the people as they sought him, that you seek me only because you ate of the loaves, you were filled. You need to eat of the bread that is eternal. You need to come and eat of me and drink of me. They were looking for him to just fill their stomachs. And Jesus wasn't going to let them crown him as king just because he fed them bread and fish. You see, there are many Christians, even today, that get caught up into those teachers and their theology that you come to Jesus and you always will be wealthy. He always will fill you with bread. And you always will be healed. You'll be healthy. And, and that's the doctrine. And, and of course, if you want that, you have to have enough faith. And also, you got to plant your seed faith. And you need to give that seed faith to me, to my ministry. And, and people buy into that, that he always wants you to be healthy and wealthy in the prosperity gospel, which, by the way, folks, is not the gospel. He does heal. He does bless us. We know that as we consider this, that he supplies all of our needs in Christ Jesus. He is the Lord over all of that. Every good gift comes from above. But you see, he wasn't going to just fill them. He wanted to save them. Remember part of the Christmas story when the angel came to Joseph and to Mary and said, that which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. She's going to bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, Yahshua, the Lord thy salvation. And he will save his people from their sins. And the triumphal entry is, we will see that later, that the people are waving the palm branches. Matthew records that as Jesus came up from the Jordan Valley, there was a great multitude, and then the city was moved. It's where we get our word earthquake. I mean, the whole place was just shaken with excitement. They had never seen anything like it before. So people came out of the city, coming to Passover to, to greet him, and they come out of the city, people up from the Jordan Valley, and Jesus gets on a donkey. He rides down the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley into the city of Jerusalem, and they're all crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were coming to him because Luke tells us in his narrative that they are expecting him to usher in the kingdom. He's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to, to, to meet all of our political needs. He, he is going to feed us. We'll never be sick again. And they were only coming on those bases. And when they understood that he wasn't going to do that, usher in the kingdom at that time, he will eventually when he returns. That a few days later, they would cry out, crucify him. 
crucify him, we will not have this man rule over us. And you see, he didn't take the crown from them at this time after this miracle meal. The only crown that he would take was the crown of thorns as he would be headed to Calvary to die for the sins of humanity. He's going to free them from the greatest need, the greatest need of any man or any woman, and that is to be free from sin. And I want you to always remember this, folks. Then when we're free from sin, Rome can't hurt us. Rome can't hurt us. Because we belong to an eternal kingdom, and there's an eternal plan for us. And it's so glorious and wonderful, and he is going to come and establish his kingdom. So in John chapter 6, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And at that time, the crowds begin to walk away from him. So Jesus, dismissing the crowd, he sends his disciples to, to sail before him to the other side, to Capernaum. And verse 23 tells us he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And it shows me and it reminds me that if Jesus needed to get alone to pray, how I need to get alone to pray to my Father. But I also want to consider this. Jesus had a long day of ministry. He gets in a boat. He hears the news about John the Baptist. He, he says, let's get away. Let's get to a quiet place. He gets in a boat, goes to the other side. There's a multitude waiting for him. He's moved with compassion. He ministered to them all day, healing them. And then he feeds them uh, with a few loaves and fish. He's had a busy day. He's had a very busy day. And I'm sure that he is tired. And yet he gets alone to pray to his father. And how it reminds me that after a long day of ministry and for you as well, as you're ministering to your kids and you minister at your workplace, as you're working hard and, and you guys work hard, that it reminds me at the end of my day and your day, just as I begin my day going to my father, and that's what I pray, is that you have that, that quiet time with the Lord as you start your day. Read your Bible every single day. Pray to the Lord. Have that devotion time. But the tendency can be when we get home to zone out or to veg out. I need to relax or watch TV or watch Netflix or get on social media for a while. I, I get that. I understand. There are times where I need to debrief. But I also am reminded of this. The best thing that I can do is go to the Lord and to end my day with him. Oh, Father, thank you for today, for helping me for guiding me, for that divine appointment that I had with that person to share with. Lord, thank you for showing me these things. Thank you for your provision, Lord. Thank you for working in my life and help me get a good night's sleep and tomorrow we'll start again. And, and, and I'll come to you and I know you'll guide me, but to end your day with the Lord. And I'll tell you what, you'll have a better night's sleep. When you begin your day with the Lord, even as David would write, that Lord, I come to you morning, noon, and night and you end your day with the Lord. And so Jesus here going to the Father. He's alone on the mountain. The disciples, what are they doing? Well, we see in verse 24, they're rowing. The boat is in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So I've told you this before, those of you who've been with us to Israel, that the Sea of Galilee, 700 feet below sea level, sits in a bowl, mountains all around. The lake itself is about 12 miles long and 9 miles wide. And here these guys are, they're in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the sea. So they're about four miles from land. And this windstorm hits them. The boat is tossed around. Uh, the wind is contrary. There is a headwind. 
And it can happen very suddenly in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I've seen it happen. I remember the first time that I was out on the Sea of Galilee, when we got into the boat, it was smooth as glass. By the time we got out into the lake, all of a sudden this windstorm came in, and with it being in a bowl, the winds can swirl around, and the waves can get very big. Matter of fact, some of the people in Israel will tell you that those waves can get 8 to 10 feet high, and they got pictures of it. So the wind is contrary. The waves are huge. They're in the middle of the lake. Now, as we read this story here, that this is the second storm that the disciples find themselves in. Remember back in chapter 8, the first storm? That was storm number one. Jesus is asleep. A storm comes up. They wake Jesus up. Don't you care that we perish because they're so frightened? He stands up. He rebukes the storm, and immediately it was calm. And they marveled, and they said, Who could this be that even the sea and the winds obey him? When I am in a storm in life, and all of us go through storms, don't we? I like it when the calm comes right away. Lord, you rebuke it. Lord, I know that you're in the boat with me. And, and you said we're going to go to the other side. I don't have to doubt. And, and Jesus uh, awakened and rebuked the storm. And immediately it was calm. I like it when the Lord moves in that way. But this is storm number two. And they are going to learn some other lessons that we need to learn. The Lord is not with them in the boat. And they are rowing, and they are working, and they are toiling, and the wind is contrary. In verse 25, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now Mark's account of this story tells us that he saw them rowing. He saw them toiling. Jesus saw them from the mountain, and then he comes to them in the fourth watch. That's about 3 o'clock in the morning. These disciples, Jesus sends them off to the other side before him. Uh, in other words, somewhere in the conversation to them, they were told, I will meet you over there. And they set sail. And I'm sure they're excited and good spirits. Man, did you just see what happened? What an amazing day of ministry. What an incredible event that took place. And they start out, and I'm going to meet you on the other side. I'll meet you over there. And they set out. And after this amazing time that they had, a time of great excitement and awe at what Jesus did and how he's working, they found themselves all of a sudden being hit by this wind. This storm, a great wind comes up is what we're told in the Gospels. Have you ever found that to be true? That the Lord's working in your life and things are just, just exciting and things are happening and he's showing you things and, and all of a sudden, in a moment, the winds of adversity and the winds of pain and the of, winds of suffering and difficulty and trials come to you. It can happen very quickly in a phone call. It can happen with an event that happens. It can happen in a moment of time. And that's what happened to these guys. After a time of excitement, all of a sudden the trials come. And it can happen to us. Why, Lord? Why did this come? And we think, Lord, don't you care? Did I do something wrong? Or, or do you see me? Do you even care about me? And it was Paul the Apostle that said, who will separate us from the love of God in Romans chapter 8? So trials and tribulations and persecution, famine, 
He said, no. And he was a man that knew all about that. And we can be assured that the Lord does love us, and we're going to learn those lessons as we continue in him. But many of you have experienced it. After a high time, all of a sudden there's difficulty. That's what happened in 2020 here in the ministry. Uh, a year ago, man, things were cooking. Things were really happening. It, God was doing amazing things. Not that he stopped doing amazing things. But we were just watching God work. And all of a sudden, just like that, it's like we got to close down. They said two and a half million people are going to die. We don't want to, you know, go through that. And, and, and all of a sudden, the winds of adversity came to us with this pandemic that brought other challenges, and you went through it as well. So we all go through the difficulties. We all go through the storms. And as they're in this storm, all of a sudden, as we see that they're rowing, they're, they're struggling, uh, they keep going, they're being obedient to what Jesus said, go to the other side. By the fourth watch, they have been straining and battling this storm for hours at least six or more hours. Their backs are hurting. Their hands are blistered and bleeding from the oars. They're trying to do what Jesus said to do. And it would have been a whole lot easier if they would have just said, forget it. Let's turn the bow around and go back to where we started. Go with the wind. That would be logical. We don't have to keep doing this. We're not getting anywhere. Let's just turn the boat around and go back to shore. And there's no indication that they did that. And the Lord is not with them at this time. And he's not in the boat. He's not there for them to say, don't you care? And watch him rebuke the storm. This is a different storm. And they're rowing and they're rowing. And it's hour after hour and they're not getting anywhere. They're in the midst of the sea. They're in the midst of the storm. And the situation is unmanageable. It is unbearable. And they're trying to be obedient to what they were told to do. And it would have been a lot easier if they would have just gone back, turned the boat around. And maybe you're here this morning. Perhaps some of you are in the worst storm of your life. And the great winds of adversity and difficulty and pain and hurt and suffering is blowing against you. And you've said, Lord, I hear your word. I know your command given to me. I'm trying to be obedient. And it's a struggle that continues late into the night. Maybe it's been happening for weeks. Maybe for months. For years. And the logic and the temptation is to cut and run, to go with the wind, to go with what the world says to do, what others say that I should do, what my own flesh and desires tell me what I should do. Many of us have been in this storm here. And I know that I have. There have been times in my life where I thought, Lord, I don't know if I want to do this for another year, for another five years, because it just hurts too much. The difficulties, the toiling, I don't know if we're getting anywhere. I don't know if I'm doing any good for you, Lord. And we can feel those kinds of feelings. I just want to cut and run when the storm blows against me. I'm tired of toiling and rowing, but I've learned something. And I learned from this vignette 
that number one, you can write it down in your notes or in your margins in your Bible, that number one, he is watching, just as Jesus was watching these guys. He sees you in the midst of the storm. And number two, he is praying. He is praying, and I personally believe he was praying for his disciples. The scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, he always lives to make intercession for us. And he isn't on a mountain. He's at the right hand of God the Father. And he's my compassionate high priest that intercedes for me in my struggles and at all times. Isn't that amazing? Think about this. Your name is uttered before the throne of God because Jesus is interceding for you, our compassionate high priest. And we can go to the throne of grace, Hebrews chapter 4 says, in our time of need. And then thirdly, we're going to see as we continue that he came to them and he will come to you. And know that he approves of your obedience. And in their obedience, they will see something of him that they had never seen before because at the end of this night, on the other side, they will look at Jesus and they will say, truly, you are the son of God. They had never said that. The father declared it at the baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Satan had said it at the temptation in the wilderness since or if you are the son of God. The demons would say it at Kadera. What have we to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? But up to this point, the disciples have not declared this. In storm number one, they said, who is he that even the sea and the winds obey him? And they were exceedingly afraid. But at the end of this day, they will say of a truth that you are the son of God and they will worship him. And what they have gained in their obedience is the most profound truth that they have come to know concerning their master up to this point. He was more real to them than ever before. And I believe with all of my heart that that is the same truth that he desires for us, every single one of us, to discover in our storms as we move forward in obedience that truly you are the son of God and to bring us to a place of worship. We see that with the sweet psalmist of David. You know, the, he was just the sweet psalmist of Israel. David would write that, Lord, I'm struggling. When my heart is overwhelmed, I cry out to you. Lord, why am my soul so cast down? Lord, you know, have you forgotten me? And David, he's wrestling with the Lord, and then he ends up waiting on the Lord, and then he begins to worship the Lord as he focuses on the Lord. Lord, you're my strength. You're my protector. You are my stability. You're everything that I need, my comfort. So David would be wrestling, and he's honest with the Lord, and then he's waiting, and then he's worshiping. And that time of difficulty and sorrow end up into a place where he would just draw close to the Lord. And I believe that one of the lessons that he is sowing into their hearts is that he is, he is watching them and he is praying for them and he is coming to them. They needed to learn that lesson. 5,000, isn't it interesting? 5,000 fed on the mountainside. A miracle, amazing working of God. Get into a boat, go to the other side. They end up in a storm. It would be a few short months later that Jesus would say to those disciples, his apostles, after his resurrection, 
that you guys wait here in Jerusalem for the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, that you may be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. You know the story. Day of Pentecost, Peter stands up. He preaches 3,000, got saved. In Acts chapter 3, he preaches again. 2,000 more get saved, 5,000 in totality. 5,000 fed, they're in a storm. 5,000 saved, book of Acts, what happens after that? They go through the storm of persecution. And they needed to learn that the Lord was still with them and he sees them. He wasn't going to leave them as orphans as he would tell them in that upper room. And they needed to know that he was still working in their lives and it would draw them closer to him. And as we considered this, that he is going to bring us just as he did with them into a deeper level of fellowship and worship with the Son of God. And that's what he wants us to discover. You see, the temptation oftentimes, and the temptation can be with me even, the temptation can be to cut and run, to, to fall away from the Lord, to withdraw from the Lord when it's a time that he desires for us to draw closer to him, to look for him, to call out to him, not to go back to Egypt like the children of Israel when they were in their difficulty, Egypt being a picture of the world, but they enter into a deeper fellowship with him and know that great is his faithfulness. And Jesus does come to them, verse 25, in the fourth watch. Now, I would think, Lord, and I think this often, why don't you come to me on the first watch? Why the second watch? Why the fourth? Get me out of here. But his timing is not my timing. And of course, we don't know oftentimes why storms come into our lives why he allows storms to come, we all go through it. But I am reminded this morning as we study his word that I may not understand why the storm, but I can fall back and be established on what I can understand. And that is he sees me, he's praying for me, he comes to me. And I can trust him and put my faith in him and rest in his love for me. And as I go through the storm in my life, I know that he's still working in my life. And as we continue with the story here, we're not done. These guys have a way, particularly Peter, of making it more interesting, verse 26. That when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, verse 31, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And another gospel tells us that when they got into the boat, immediately they were on the other side. It wasn't that all of a sudden, the boat just took off. They were, bang, transferred over there, raptured over there. They're immediately over there, and they're going, it's calm. And truly, you are the Son of God. And they worshiped him. We're all familiar with this section where Jesus, when he comes to them on the fourth watch, remember they're in the middle of the lake middle of the night 
He comes to them. They're not expecting to see him. They're very troubled. They cry out in fear. They're shaken and extremely frightened. And they say it's a ghost. And I think that most of us, if not all of us, if we were in that boat, we'd be saying the same thing. It's a ghost walking on the waters. And Jesus immediately spoke to them. Be a good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. He immediately speaks a word of comfort and assurance to them. And that's what he desires to do this morning for you as you find yourself in difficulty. That I am with you. It is I. Be a good cheer. Don't be afraid. And in the storm or situation that you face this morning, he's reminding us that we don't have to be gripped with fear. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to think that there's a ghost haunting you. Because the Lord says the same thing to you and to me. Be of good cheer. Another place we know that Jesus earlier in his ministry, he said, you will have tribulation. Not that you might have tribulation. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And then in verse 28, Peter says, if it's you, Lord, command me to come to you on the water. I don't know what would possess Peter to say that. When we go to heaven, I'm hoping to maybe ask him, what were you thinking at that moment. And I've heard so many teachers say it's because of his great faith. Jesus said, you have little faith. I think maybe perhaps it could have been, he just wanted to get out of the boat with these guys. I'm tired of these guys. They're hollering, they're toiling, they're murmuring, they're crying out, they're sweaty. I just need to get away from these guys. Lord, I want to come to you. Step out on the water. I don't know why he would say this. But I do wonder this. How many of us that he's saying right now to us that I want you to step out of the boat into the water? And I want you to know that I am above the waves and the wind and the storm. And I want you to keep your eyes on me. And what happens to Peter happens to us. We get our eyes off the Lord. And we get them on the circumstances and the storm and we begin to sink into despair and hopelessness and doubt and fear. And as Peter is going down, he only has time to say three quick words. Lord, save me. He didn't have time to pray the long King James prayer. Lord, save me, glope, glope. We're going to see in the next chapter, there's going to be a woman who's going to be agonizing over the situation with her daughter. And she comes and says, Lord, help me. He hears that prayer. And that's a prayer that many of you have had. I know I've had. Lord, help me. Lord, comfort me. Provide for me. Guide me. Lord, save me. And it says that Jesus stretched out his hand and pulled Peter out of the water and plopped him back into the boat. He gives a gentle rebuke to Peter. Why did you doubt? The hands of Jesus, the strong hands of Jesus, pulling Peter, who historians called the giant, pull him out of the water and plopped him back into the boat. And immediately they're on the other side and the wind had calmed. I consider the hands of Jesus, the strong hands of Jesus. And maybe you find yourself this morning you're, that you're sinking. Maybe because of a trial. Maybe because of circumstances, you're in despair. Seems like you're drowning in difficulty and sorrow. And the Lord 
has a mighty hand who desires to pull you out and to work in your situation, whatever you're in. He is almighty God. He created the heavens and the earth, and there's nothing too difficult for him that he can't work. And he desires for you to know that he is there. The strong hands of Jesus to pull you out when you feel like you're just drowning in the circumstances or despair or hopelessness. And he says, don't lose hope, I'm with you. I think about the hands of Jesus, I think about the compassionate hands of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 8, remember the man that was full of leprosy came to Jesus and said, if you're willing, Lord, cleanse me. And he said, I'm willing. And it says he, that he reached out with his hands and he touched that man and immediately he was cleansed. It was against the law to touch somebody with leprosy. Leprosy was a horrible disease. We've gone over it. It's a picture of sin in the Old Testament. It began to just eat away at people and their fingers would be eaten away, their nose and their ears. And, and, and just it would eventually just, the decay got so bad, this disease, that it eventually would kill you. And here's a man full of leprosy. He wasn't supposed to come into town. He wasn't supposed to come near people. And he comes to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, cleanse me. And Jesus said, I am. And, and he reaches out and he touches him and he's cleansed. There are people that I talk to. They think I can't come to Jesus. I've sinned away the day of grace. I've done so wrong. I've got such a messed up life. Can he ever cleanse me? He's faithful and just as we come to him and confess our sins to forgive us of all of our sins and all of our unrighteousness, John 1. That there's no one too far gone that he can't save. And there's people that you know in your life that maybe they might come to you and say, would Jesus ever accept me? And I pray and hope that we would give the message that yes, that there's forgiveness for you as Jesus died for all of our sins. There was a lady that called me this week on the radio, on Calvary Live. She calls from Baltimore and she said, I have just lived a messed up life and I want to know if I can come to Jesus. How do I get saved? So I led her to the Lord. I gave her the gospel. I prayed with her right there on the radio nationwide. She's wondering, can I come to him? I pray that this is always considered a hospital where people who are sick, remember Jesus said, I came. I came for those of, you know, that are sick. I came to save that which is lost. And that this would always be a hospital for those. That they can hear the good news. Because we've all been stricken with the sin of leprosy. And that we would know that he desires to cleanse us and to help us. The strong hands of Jesus, the compassionate hands of Jesus, the gentle hands of Jesus. We're going to see in a few chapters as they bring the children to Jesus. And it says he put his hands out and he blessed them. And maybe you're here and you're saying, Lord, please, I pray for my children. I pray for my grandchildren that you would bless them and that you would help them. He cares about them. He cares about your family. You keep bringing them to Jesus. Bring your kids here that we can minister to them. But you keep bringing them to Jesus because he cares for them. Strong hands of Jesus, the compassionate hands of Jesus, the gentle hands of Jesus, the same hands that were stretched out on that Roman gibbet and were pierced to that cross. 
because of his love for you. And I want you to always remember something, that he is our hope. He is our salvation. And because of his love for you, that he allowed himself to be pinned to that Roman jitter. And then he said, it is finished, as he cried out from the cross. He did the work. He paid the price for your sins and was put into a grave and he rose again. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And he's at the right hand of the Father. And the invitation is always, come, Peter, come. You come to him, whether you're in a storm today or difficulty, you come to him for salvation. It is never get away. It is always to come. Because he went to a cross, stretched out his hands to die for you. He is your hope, your salvation. He's everything that you need. You will be having tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this incredible story before us, to be reminded of these truths. And Lord, I pray it brings comfort to us and hope to us. Maybe there's some that are here that they're just, feels like they're drowning, sinking in despair and hopelessness and difficulties and trials to know that you see them, that you're interceding, your promises are true, and you will come to them. And that for all of us, as we go through the storms of life, that we would go through that time that would bring us closer to you, not to drift away from you, not to cut and run, not to go the way of the world, but to draw close to you and see how great your faithfulness is and your love for us. And Lord, I pray for those right now that are in a storm. They're feeling despair, hopelessness, discouragement, that you would bring comfort and strength and provide for their needs and guide them. And Lord, that you be the lifter of their head, to help us keep our eyes on you. Lord, that we would run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith that you will get us to the other side and we'll be with you for all eternity. That whatever storm anyone's going through, that we would enter into a deep level of fellowship with you, that we would come to know that truth truly in our hearts that you are the Son of God. And I do want to pray for anyone here that you have not given your life to Jesus Christ. Listen, he is your salvation. He came to this world to die for your sins, to free you from the greatest need, the greatest bondage that is put on a man or a woman, and that is the bondage of sin. The need for forgiveness because the wages of sin is death, but Jesus came and died in place of you and for you on that cross. And he did it because of his love for you. And he says to you this morning, come, if you're not right with God, if you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, a church won't save you, a pastor won't save you, being religious won't save you. Trying to be a good person won't save you because none of us are good enough. Jesus will save you. Will you come to him and call out to him? And he promises that he'll save you, forgive you, and bring you into right relationship with the Father. And you can pray right where you are, sincerely in your heart, that I come to you, Jesus. I turn to you. 
I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me. And that you're alive. You rose from the grave because you're speaking to my heart. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. Be the Lord, the Lord truly of my life. To sit upon the throne of my heart. And I do want to know you and walk with you. And I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God. And the hope of eternal life in Jesus' name. And for all of us as we go out of this place, may we be ones that we bring comfort and truth to others. Even as Paul would say to the Corinthians, I come preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that would be a message of this place and of our hearts to others that are drowning in the worry of the world, being eaten away by just the stuff in their life, carnality and sin, but Lord, that are troubled in their hearts that we would know that you overcame the world and you are our hope. And we would give that message. Bless everyone here now as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Amen.